Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Bay Presbyterian Church on the occasion of the memorial service of Frank McCain. We are pleased that you could be here with us here today. And I could, uh, I could see several folks here from the, his boating club that I didn't know Frank personally, but we had obviously had overlapping circles of uh, friends. So we're pleased that you could be here. And I think I speak for the whole family when I say they receive your presence here as a statement of your love and support for them. Um, just a couple of um, quick announcements. First of all, there's uh, some uh, light snacks in the, in the uh, fellowship hall back here that you would be invited to stay around if you want to say something quickly to the, to the family. And um, then um, at 1 o'clock, we'll, um, we'll end that, and the family will go over for the interment. Um, I want to thank the, the ladies of our church for putting together the little uh, reception for Carl, who's on the, uh, in the sound booth, and for Gordon and Carol, who will lead our singing. So. With that in view, um, everything that you need for the service is right in front of you. Uh, you have a, a paper insert in the bulletin that will be for uh, the words to the songs. And uh, we'll begin with a responsive reading for the call to worship. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The first song that we'll sing together. It is well with my soul. Please stand with me.
Thank you, and please be seated. We will have a, our prayer of invocation, and I would invite you to pray right along with me uh, as we go to God in prayer. Eternal God, who loves us with an everlasting love and can turn the shadow of darkness of death into the light of new life, help us now to wait upon thee with reverent and believing hearts. In the peace of this hour, speak to us of eternal things, and through comfort from the Holy Spirit, we may have hope and be lifted above our darkness and distress into the light and peace of thy presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For those of you who may have been present at uh, Bonnie's memorial service, you'll note some similarities between this service and hers. Even the, the communion table here in front, it was uh, decorated just exactly the same way when, uh, when we had, when First Presbyterian had Bonnie's service. Uh, three scripture passages that uh, have been used by the church over the centuries to comfort those who have experienced loss. The first comes from John, the 14th chapter. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way, or you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we did not know where you were going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Apostle Paul would write a letter to the Corinthian church and in it speak of things to come. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And next, in the book of Revelation, John had a vision from God about what this new heavens and this new earth, what this heaven is all about. And he wrote it down. And so we have for us, in Revelation chapter 21, the first five verses, John's vision of heaven. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And we receive comfort knowing that Frank is in heaven, enjoying this new heaven and earth where there is no more pain, no more suffering, every tear wiped away, and no more death. The next song we'll sing together is Mighty to Save. Would you please stand with me as we sing? Love that's never failing. 
Take me as you find me. All my fears will fail yours. Fill my life anew. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. nephew Bob is going to come and share with us some uh, thoughts from the family, uh, Bob included, but for the rest of the family, he's going to share some thoughts. And uh, if you have a, a short remembrance of Frank that you'd like to share with a group, I would invite you to be collecting your thoughts, and I'll emphasize short for that. Uh, but um, if you do have any thoughts that uh, ways in which Frank touched you or or uh, brought a smile to your face, we would uh, welcome those thoughts. So, Bob? Firstly, on behalf of my mother Karen, my uncle Scott, Frank, and my aunt Sue, and her children Kyle and Lauren, along with myself and the entire McKean family, I would like to thank you all for coming here today. <clears throat> Since I can remember, my grandfather Frank has always been a monumental figure in my life, second only to my parents. Even today, I feel that same admiration and awe towards my grandfather that I felt as a small child. His determination, composure, and compassion were second to none. Born at the end of the Great Depression as the son of the only doctor in a rural Iowa county, my grandfather's life is truly astonishing in its achievements. During high school, he assisted his father in medical situations and even on rare occasions helping deliver babies. He went to McAllister College and then grad school at the University of Iowa. After graduating, he climbed the ladder in his banking career to vice president of Wells Fargo. That child from rural Great Depression, Iowa, had become the vice president of one of the largest financial institutions in the entire world. This determination never left him after he retired in and it stayed with him even into his final days. An example of this would be while bedridden, he promised me and my mom he wouldn't die in his hospital room. We brushed this off as another example of his can-do attitude. Little did we know he intended on keeping this promise. The day he passed away, we learned that before he passed, he forced himself into a wheelchair and got himself to the lobby with the help of nurses. And after falling asleep in his wheelchair, he passed away. He kept on that promise, and it, it's incredible. Until my grandfather's last breath, his determination never left him. For my entire life, my grandfather has been a symbol of humility and composure. I never heard him yell, brag, or do anything even resembling being cruel. This was not to say he did not have expectations. He did. When I would make a mistake, though, instead of yelling at me, he would talk through it with me and try to make me learn from the situation. I remember two years ago, he was staying with us in Minnesota, and I came home late at night with a ticket for running a red light. I still think it was yellow. <laughs> I was 16, and I'd been driving for two months, and I had already gotten a ticket. 
Most people would rip into a kid for doing something like that. A traffic ticket at one in the morning? What were you thinking? Not my grandfather, though. He sat down with me and he went through the entire situation again with me. And at, and at the end of it, he asked, what will you do next time? I replied with an answer that just seemed natural after the conversation. I'll stop on yellow. He answered, good, then you won't have to worry about getting a ticket for doing that again. The composure he had in that situation and to keep a cool head when I and everyone else in the family were freaking out is impressive to say the least. To me, the most inspiring and important part of my grandpa's character was his compassion and his love for his family. Something I did not mention in my previous rundown of his life and achievements was his family. He married my grandma Bonnie, who he met in grade school. They had three brilliant kids who are all geniuses in their own field. And my mom, Karen, uncle, and my uncle, Scott, and Frank. And as his grandson, I can never remember a time where he wasn't a phone call away or supporting me through my goals. I owe my grandpa my straight teeth, my ability to play hockey, and so much more. He did not have to give me these things or do anything else, but he did it for me out of compassion, care, and love. I remember vividly two months before he passed, I had my graduation party, which was in Minnesota, and he was in hospice down in Florida. And the day after the party, he gave me a call, crying, apologizing for not being able to attend. My grandfather, who was on his deathbed, was apologizing to me for not being able to come to my graduation party. His compassion was not just limited to his family either. He did his best to improve the community around him. He volunteered for all three of my mom and uncle's senior parties. He also worked with and won awards at the Bonita Bay Club, helping provide opportunities to disenfranchised kids in the area by taking them out to fish and teaching them life skills. The final but most valuable thing my grandfather gave me was not, was not a concept or an idea or an object, it was a phrase, and that phrase was good people get good things. This phrase, while very general and maybe hard to understand, has guided me through everything I have ever done. The phrase means to put a good effort into everything you do, for yourself and others. By doing, and by doing this, you will receive good things back. This is the number one rule I use in my daily life and has never failed me. From my studies in college to my social life, I've learned that always putting in my best effort good results will come back to me. Every achievement I have in life, from homecoming court to college and academic successes, I owe partially to, to this piece of wisdom he gave me. And to finish, my grandfather has been an inspiration to me for as long as I can remember. From his intelligence and steadiness to his compassion, he has always been a shining example for me. He has taught me lessons that I carry with me every day, and he gave me a model how to act and compose myself in all situations. He was a kind and good-hearted man who saw the best in others and wanted to be the best for others. To my grandfather, Frank, I would like to thank you for the, all the lessons you taught me and the love you have given me. You truly were the best grandfather I could have ever asked for. And now I will be reading words from my uncle, Frank. A few great memories about Dad. Dad would take the bus and we would all wait for him and then have dinner at the table at 6 p.m. Each summer in June, the family would have a summer vacation in northern Minnesota, either at Woman Lake or Green Roof, and, the, and, the, then set up, and he would set up fishing lines and drive the boat for hours, taking us for boat rides, and a few times we would go golfing, shuffleboarding, or play billiards. In high school, Mom and Dad took me to visit colleges and helped me move in each year into different apartments, and one time even in February never complaining. Mom and Dad were at my high school and college graduations. Dad had season tickets to Vikings games, and he would take me to games at the Met Stadium in snowmobile suits, and later to the Metrodome, parking in the bank parking lot and walking to Gate G. I worked next to Dad at the bank for a few years, and we would go to lunch in the cafeteria. He would always give advice on how to advance a career or how to act professional. My family would visit Dad in Minnesota or Florida, he always had our week marked off in the calendar and asked what we would like to do, eat, and drink, so the fridge is always stocked. In Minnesota, Mom and Dad would wait, on the, would wait on lawn chairs in the garage when we pulled up and helped unload the car. We always took Dad on the pontoon boat, and we would listen to all the memories he had. In Florida, Dad would go with us to the beach or the pool and always spend as much time as he could with us. 
Dad was so generous and always so grateful that we came to visit and so sad when it was time to leave. Dad was always supporting all my decisions and let me be myself and find my own way. And now I will be reading, uh, now I will be reading words from Frank's wife, Sue. Frank was a kind and loving person. I felt very welcome when I joined the family, and he would always ask about Lauren and Kyle. We all knew that Frank loved to talk. He would share stories of when he went on calls with Doc and all, and all of his times at Wells Fargo. He remembered so many details. When I told him Lauren was moving to New York, he shared all the time he spent, he, he shared all the time he spent in New York. He would say that I was glad to get out, out of there on Thursday and head back home to Minnesota each week. He loved his boating and it showed. There were times when he seemed a little tired, but he would always perk up when he went boating. On my last trip to Florida, Frank knew I wanted to go to Naples Pier, but parking was so bad that he said he would drive around while I enjoyed walking the pier. I always remembered that. So many great visits across Lake, he and Bonnie would be so happy when we arrived that they waited on the driveway. I will miss his talks. And I will read words now from my Uncle Scott. When I was in high school, Dad was assigned to work in New York City. I went to New York as a tourist for a week while he was working there. At the time, I had an aunt and uncle who lived in upstate. As part of my trip, I was planning to visit them. So Dad and I went down to the bus depot and got a schedule and information. An unexpectedly distressed college student approached Dad asking for help. She was returning to college upstate and had traveled to the bus depot from the airport. However, after rising up at the bus depot, she learned that her bus would not be leaving for several hours. The prospect of remaining there for several hours alone frightened her. Apparently, she took one look at Dad and saw him as a refuge from that. Dad said, sure, come with us, absolutely. And he picked up her luggage, which did not have wheels, and started carrying it. Dad had a co-worker in New York with him at the time. The four of us went out to eat and spent the time with the college student until her bus departed. I recall riding in an elevator with Dad's coworker when he observed, your dad, he just adopts people. I replied, yes, he does. For those several hours, Dad had two daughters. I did not deserve to have him for a dad. It was God's unmerited favor. Although it is only temporary, I'm going to miss my dad. And now I will read words from my cousin, Kathy. Uncle Frank was my go-to uncle throughout my life, as Aunt Bonnie was my go-to aunt. From a little girl wanting to go visit Aunt Bonnie and Uncle Frank, exploring the Twin City at their side, the stadium, the bank, the vault of the bank, the library, awesome ice cream treats, Frank squirting water from the outside of the house through the house screen in Bloomington onto the kitchen table inside. Brother, Brother Frank. <laughs> They taught me what grace was at a very young age. They, o- they opened my eyes to many experiences for which I will forever be grateful. The greatest of these two peoples was that I could always reach out to them as an adult for guidance, direction, mentoring, confidence, encouragement, and all-encompassing love they surrounded me with through their ebb and flow of life journeys and experiences. They would listen and hear what I was going through, and they never, ever made me feel unworthy. They didn't fix the situation I was in, but helped guide me through it. I was blessed with the opportunity to visit them several times as an adult, and I always left there feeling loved, refreshed, and not judged. I was also accepted for who I was, not for who others wanted me to be or expected me to be. They were unconditionally proud of me. When Scott and Karen let me know that Uncle Frank was going into hospice care, I immediately knew I wanted to visit him once again. So off on another adventure to be once again blessed beyond measure with our conversation and love. When I left after that visit, I knew it would be the last time I would see Uncle Frank. But memories in our conversations and in the encouragement he filled me with will sustain me throughout the remainder of my life. I miss his phone calls and his earthly presence. I thank God for every moment we shared together. So thankful. They not only did this for me, but for my sister too. Her childhood memories of adventure, young adult transitions to parenthood, They were there for her through the whole process, again and again, grace beyond measure. I relate their love like the love of Jesus that he has for each and every one of us, unconditional. I will forever miss them here on this earth and in my human life. 
But know to my core, I will see you both again. Bonnie and Frank reunite in heaven. Thanks be to God. With all my love and admiration, your niece, Kathy. And to finish off now, I will read words from my mom, Karen. When I was thinking about my dad and how I wanted to memorialize him today, many words to describe him came to mind. Kind, loving, generous, forgiving, steadfast, slow to anger, encouraging, intelligent, patient, thoughtful, cheerleader, confident, leader, hard worker, loyal, successful, ambitious, and detail-oriented. But there's one word of his former colleagues that one of his former colleagues at Wells Fargo used to describe him, which is perhaps my favorite. When I was considering a career in psychology, my dad, in his typical fashion of trying to help, arranged for me to have a meeting with one of the employee assistant psychologists at Wells Fargo. The intent was for me to learn about her career and help me make a final decision about my major in college. At that meeting, she went out of her way to tell me that my father was one of the most gentle souls she had ever met. This was coming from a woman who had her PhD in psychology. She was an expert in personality. Gentle soul is one of my favorite ways to remember him. Another thing I will always remember about my father is his ability and his desire to make every situation and encounter he was a part of better. He was always looking for ways he could help assist and make other people's lives and experiences less complicated. Whatever the event he was part of, he always added value to it. When my cousin Marilee and her husband and three school-aged children visited my dad in the summer of 2022, he made sure that these outdoorsy kids from Mississippi had a genuine up north experience. He planned activities for them and arranged for fishing guides to take the family out to ensure they caught fish. He wanted to make sure their family had a fun experience with him and he went out of his way to make that happen. Some other things I'll remember for were our summer family vacations in northern Minnesota and his love of boating and fishing, even if we are not successful in catching fish. The time he spent with us is what I will remember. One fishing trip when I was in grade school, we were fishing near lily pads by the shoreline. I'd expressed that I would love to have one of the lily pad flowers to take home with me. Even though it was a very weedy and shallow, my dad slowly steered the boat over to the lily pads and picked the flowers for me. I think he had some time. I think he had to spend some time cleaning out weeks from the mo weeks weeds from the motor, but I got my flower. I could count on my father for everything. We would talk several times a day. When he was in hospice in Florida this summer, I would sit by his bedside and he would hold my hand. When I would express my sadness over fear of losing him, he would grip my hand and repeat several times over, don't worry, you're going to be all right. On the days I really miss him and wonder how am I going to go on without him in my life, I tell myself, don't worry, I will be all right, because my dad said so. He's a freshman in college. I think he's gunning for my job. <laughs> uh, if anybody has something they'd like to share, just a, a few words, we would welcome those at this time. My name is uh, Fred Lutz. I'm from Mankato, Minnesota. I was Frank's roommate in college for two years. 65 years ago, I met Frank, 1958. We, we uh, were freshmen at McAllister College, a small Presbyterian college in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I think both of us were in the same classes together and then we became roommates the last two years and I had another roommate who is still living in St. Paul, John Parks. So the three of us lived in a dormitory four years, and we always kind of started that we were going to start at this small college and transfer somewhere, but we ended up staying at McAllister College for four years and got degrees in business administration. I kind of followed Frank around. I've been in Allison, Iowa. I've been in northern Minnesota, where they, have a, they had a summer home. I became, I'm not a resident down here, but I, I'm a resident at the Strand over on Immokalee Road. I've been down here since the late 90s. So I've talked to Frank when he came down here, I think it was in 2000. And we've been together, I've, I've, 
I've watched him and we have a Minnesota breakfast group here that meets during the winter time and we have speakers come down and we get a couple hundred people come to a breakfast and we have speakers here from here in Minnesota. Um, I've also gone with him to many breakfasts and uh, just chatted with him. I, I did see him the last thing we were the restaurant over here that he loved to go to is at the Benita brunch, the Benita brunch. It would take us two hours to get out of there. <laughs> like she said, Frank was a talker. But I'm just happy to be here. I'd like to say that Frank really appreciated Scott being down here with, with him all the time. And he came from Alaska and stayed here for months, didn't you? All the last days. I know he kept, he always told me that Scott was a savior. And I'd just like to say my condolence to all your family. I enjoyed him for many years. I'm going to miss him. Thank you. Somebody else? Okay. Today, as you know, we're here to, together to memorialize Frank looks like McKean, sounds like McCain. Seems to me that a memorial service such as this one accomplishes three things. The first thing a memorial service does is that it helps provide closure for all of us. Frank was an exemplary father. He was always there. He was dependable even in his demanding career. Now we have to get used to a life without our friend, our neighbor, our colleague, our grandfather, and our father. We must move to a frankless existence, and this time, this morning, puts us on equal footing, informing us that Frank has been promoted to glory, and we're gonna to have to figure out things on our own. He has been an advisor to all his many relations, and we have to support one another with the new common knowledge that Frank is in heaven, and we're gonna to have to gather the aggregated wisdom and advice from over the years from Frank and schlag it out on our own. So as you look around uh, at the other folks here today, you see not just other people, but the influence that Frank had on folks to one degree or another. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, was part of a, a group they referred to as the Inklings, Friends and Writers All. And it's recorded in his book, The Four Loves. Lewis is reflecting on the passing of his friend, Charles Williams. Ronald, in the following quote, refers to J.R.R. Tolkien, both friends of Lewis, uh, both Charles Williams and Tolkien, friends of Lewis, and he'll refer to Tolkien as Ronald. And this is what Lewis writes. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to shine or to show all the facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend, not less, but more, as the numbers of those with whom we share him increases. And I think the same could be said of Frank and us. We're not, we not only lose Frank, but also those things that Frank brought out in the folks in his orbit. A second thing that a, a memorial service does is that it reminds us of a life well lived. As I mentioned, I really didn't know Frank all that well. I met him at Gwen Larson's memorial service, and uh, I've heard only positive things about Frank as a friend colleague and as a father. And I'm going to leave it to you, to, who knew him better than me, to share about Frank's life. You have heard some things, and no doubt you will, uh, you both have and will sh uh, share and swap stories of Frank's life, the things he said and he did that either influenced, touched, or made you laugh. What I've heard of Frank is that he tackled a difficult job at Wells Fargo and took a few arrows for it, yet excelled in such fashion that his colleagues 
speak well of him. I also know that his kids adored him and no doubt are hurting by his absence. I also uh, heard uh, that boating was his passion, which brings me to my third and final point. A memorial service reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ. I don't know that much about Walt Whitman's religious views. I saw this one quote where Walt, Walt Whitman said, I hear and behold God in every object, yet understand God not in the least, nor do I understand who can be more wonderful than myself. I'm pretty sure that Frank's beliefs would be divergent from those. The things that Bob just shared with us, I think, indicate that Frank had a little different worldview. But Whitman wrote a poem using a metaphor on the occasion of Abraham Lincoln's passing, and he uses the metaphor of a boat. And in that poem, in this poem, the boat metaphor refers to the ship of state of the fledgling USA. But because of the metaphor and uh, Frank's love for boating, I think that we can take this poem a little bit more literally as, rela as it relates to Frank. It's called, Captain, Oh Captain, My Captain. And it goes like this. Oh, Captain, my captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near. The bells I hear. The people are exulting. While, while follow eyes, the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But heart, oh, heart, heart, oh, the bleeding drops of red, where on the deck my captain lies, fallen cold and dead. O oh, captain, my captain, rise up and hear the bells. Rise up for you, the flag is flung for you, the bugle trills. For you, bouquets and ribbons, wreaths. For you, the shores are crowding. For you, they call the swaying mass, their eager faces turning. Here, captain, dear father, the arm beneath your head. It is some dream that on the deck you've fallen cold. My captain does not answer. His lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm. He has no po pulse nor will. The ship is anchored safe and sound, its voyage closed and done. From fearful trip, the victor ship comes in with object one. Exult, O shores, and ring, O bells, but with mournful tread. Walk the deck, my captain lies, fallen, cold, Walt Whitman stumbled into truth when he said, from fearful trip, the victor ship comes in with object one. Exult those shores and ring o' bells. But I with mournful tread walk the deck, my captain lies fallen cold and dead. For Walt Whitman, the victor ship of which he spoke was the weapon of John Wilkes Booth. But Frank's hope, my hope, the hope of every believer is that the victorship is heaven itself. There's much rejoicing in heaven when one of God's saints passes from this earth. That's why the psalmist says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. On the one hand, heaven rejoices. And Frank was met by his Savior who said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Yet for those who are left behind, there is loss, there is pain, and as Whitman said, a mournful tread. For all the highlights of his life, Frank was less than perfect. Frank tried to pattern his life after the Bible, though I didn't know him. This much I can tell you with confidence, he was more or less successful in his Christian endeavors. I say it with confidence because no one's perfect. So we all rest in hope. The hope in a biblical usage is not like, I hope I win the lottery. Rather, it is confident expectation. And the Bible has much to say about, about hope. In uh, that same letter to the Corinthians that we read earlier, the apostle says, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And I would say that hope has uh, some very good company with faith and love as wingmen. It is a epistle to the Romans, the apostle says, therefore, 
being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Frank's hope is now realized. His confident expectation is now his cherished possession. What Frank surely believed was the biblical message that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Before there was even an earth, God set in motion a plan. God would come to this earth, born in the most humble of circumstances imaginable, and from that humble beginning would live a perfect life, always pleasing God the Father. Then at a time and place of his choosing, he would surrender himself to the authorities, allow himself to endure a beating to the point of unrecognizability, then allow his enemies to nail him to a cross. But at that moment, when his enemies thought they were on the verge of victory against Jesus, God snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. God credited all of the sin of every one of his people to Jesus. The Bible said he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's what is meant by Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I said that for many years. I had no idea what it meant. God poured out on Jesus the punishment that should have been ours. But God doesn't grant heaven to everyone, only those who respond in faith and repentance. Faith is believing in Jesus, that he is the God in the flesh, and acknowledging his death on the cross for you personally and particularly. Repentance is turning from yourself and your sin and turning to God. That is the Christian's hope. That was Frank's hope. And for all who believe, the hope and expectation rides on the back of Christ's victory on the cross. Heaven is the gift, the realized hope of all who believe. Uh, Luther Beecher and Henry Van Dyke have both been credited with authorship of the same piece, and I'm going to leave it to the scholars who are smarter than me to sort out the authorship. But again, there's a nautical metaphor employed in this particular statement of either Beecher or Van Dyke or perhaps both. And it's called Gone from My Sight. I'm standing on the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails to the moving breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She's an object of beauty and strength. I stand and watch her until at length she hangs like a speck of white cloud just where the sea and the sky might are come to mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, there, she's gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that's all. She's just as large and massed, whole and spar as she was when she, was when she left my side. And she is just as able to bear her load of living freight to her destined port. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone says, there she is gone, there are other eyes watching her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout. Here she comes. That's dying. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you have lent to us for these many years, Frank McCain. And God, we pray now as we entrust Frank unto you and your good care that, uh, that he might enjoy the joy of his salvation, that he would reap now the reward of his faith here on earth. And God, our prayer is that each of us might be challenged to that same faith so that one day we too will hear what Frank and Bonnie both have heard. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. Hear us, O God, we make our prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, we, a habit that we've got into our church at memorial services is we, we recite together at the conclusion um, the 23rd Psalm. It's provided for you there in your bulletin in case you haven't memorized it, and it might be a little different translation than you memorized it in when you were children. 
So uh, I would ask you to join me in this uh, testimony of faith, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you please stand with me as we conclude and sing all the verses, all the verses to How Great Thou Art.
and now receive God's benediction. May grace, joy, and peace in the name of the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you and go with you now and forevermore. Amen. We would invite you now. Uh, we're going to have a short reception in the fellowship hall back in the back. We have uh, light snacks. You can get your lunch afterwards. These are appetizers. But uh, please join us. Thank you.